Thank you for tuning into the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed therapist here in Atlanta, Georgia. I specialize in maternal mental health. So we're going to kick back and talk all things mommy-to-be, motherhood, and just overall being a woman. So listen to some great conversation, hot topics, and whatever is on my mind at the time. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Push Through. This episode is a educational one, and I wanted to go ahead and put this one out before the episodes that are going to be following after this one, because I wanted to make sure that everyone that is following Push Through and listening understands postpartum depression and exactly what it is and what's it about. Because through the stories that we're going to be listening to and the interviews that I'm going to be doing, um, people may be on the spectrum of a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, and it may not look like what society or the media points it out to look like. And so why not have an episode where I really break it down as to what is postpartum And what does society see it as versus what it really is from a mental health standpoint? So that's what today is about. But before we get into that, um, I wanted to kind of catch you up. Um, (laughs) uh, Last week's episode was really fun because I like new things. I like to share what I'm into. I'm drinking water, so please pardon me. Um... So that was really cool, talking about some new music that I'm listening to, um, some self-care measures that I'm doing, and I hope it was very helpful for you. Um, This week, I wanted to just briefly talk about something that's important to me and that I'm kind of in the mindset of, and it's basically receipts. I just recorded a video that I'm going to upload a little later today to my Um, private practice page where I talk about making sure you as a consumer get receipts of the people that you are buying into to provide a service to you. This is just my tip. It's just my suggestion. You know, who am I? You know, I'm, I am no one but myself. (laughs) Um, But this is just what I think. And I think it's kind of like, when you need to have major surgery, like if you, you're going into the heart surgery and you want to make sure that the doctor that is working on your heart is equipped to do it, you don't want to just look at his social media page and see videos of him appearing to do these heart surgeries, of him talking about him or her, talking about heart surgeries and having these people talk about their experiences of these heart surgeries, but you really want to look at the credentials. What makes this person a great heart surgeon? Where did they go to school? Where did they get their education? Why did they decide to do this? And why are they so good at it? And we live in an age where social media is a great marketing platform. It's really visual and it's interactive And it's a great benefit for anyone who wants to connect with others and also have the opportunity of getting free marketing for whatever business or thing that they're selling. 
That's what I love and really appreciate about it. On the flip side, <laughs> being that people can make money off of social media, um, they may not always feel like it's necessarily important to get the proper certifications or education in whatever it is that they're they're doing. Like how you see a lot of people who may suddenly become a beauty influencer and they may never have been in beauty ever before. They may have never worn makeup a day in their life before. They may have watched a few Jackie Anna videos two weeks ago and then saw how big of an influence she has and how much money she makes and what her social media looks like. And then they've suddenly said, hey, I want to do this. And then they just do it. They may have never gone to school for cosmetology or learned how to do makeup. They may have no creativity in them, like nothing at all. And then all of a sudden they have deemed themselves as a beauty expert, right? This happens all the time. But in the self-care and wellness world, um, there's a lot of people that are becoming people that say that they are into instructing on yoga or whatever wellness or state of mind or practices to help someone become more self-actualized and healing work and all of this stuff and all well and good. And I am a person who does believe that your, your history or the things that you've encountered and how you've been able to overcome challenges helps in you being able to help other people. I do believe that. I think that's absolutely true because I often tell clients, which is sometimes why I will suggest that they go to a support group. If it's, if it's a situation that I have not personally experienced myself, like I've never had, you know, glory be the Lord and cross your fingers because I'm currently pregnant. Um, I have never had a miscarriage. I have never lost a baby thus far. But um, I am trained to help someone go through that. But it's so much different for them to get the help of someone who has gone through it or is currently going through it. And so I will, in addition to me providing therapy for them, I will also suggest that they look into going to a support group because that is in a total different experience than what I could ever be able to provide to them. So I get experiences of what someone has had and how it can help someone else. But I do think in addition to that, the way that you personally coped with that experience may not be the best way for someone else to cope. And that's where the education piece comes into play because I feel like when you get a certification or when you get a license, or when you go to school, or whatever the case may be for whatever route you're doing, you learn different models and foundations to be able to help people in several different approaches and interventions, where if one thing doesn't work, you have a plethora of other things that can be able to help this person, if any of that makes any sense. Um, so I say that to say... <laughs> Um, basically, what I was talking about in the video that I'm going to post today is I encourage people to ask questions and not always take everything by face value. And even like as a clinician, 
most clinicians will offer a 15-minute free consultation over the phone where anyone who is potentially thinking about setting up an appointment can call, ask questions, learn a little bit more about that therapist, what their approach is. And even on their website, there's an about me page, where we went to school, where we got our education, what type of license do we have? So you know what you're walking into and you know, okay, is this person really equipped to help me? Is this a hobby that they have? Is this something that they picked up and learned a year ago? Or is this something that this person has really done the work to be able to help someone else? Because although I'm investing in someone to help them, I've invested in my education and in myself to be able to do that adequately. So that's my tip. Who am I? Like I said, that's just something that I want to share. And now, a quick break. Did you know we sell boxes? Yeah, actually two kinds of boxes. We sell a postpartum survival kit that's intended for that fourth trimester for mom who's learning how to adjust. That box includes six full-size items that helps mom heal from her body physically, as well as being able to navigate those stressful territories, and also mental health tips to help her with sleep deprivation, anxiety, and feeling confident as a new mom. Our second box is our mommy self-care box, and those are for the moms that tend to put themselves on the back burner and put everyone else first. And these items include all self-care products to help mom learn how to relax and think about herself. So that's two different boxes, our postpartum survival kit, as well as our mommy self-care kit. Get your box today. You can get it as a gift for someone, you can get it for yourself, or you can bring it to a baby shower. Just log on to our website at www.pushthroughmom.com. That makes what they're going through sound very ambiguous. And it's not to shame them from saying it that way, because if you don't know, you don't know, you know, if, and if several other people have said it in that way, then you think that that's the way that you say it, which is the purpose of this episode to educate. Um, but that's actually not the right way to reference it. And sometimes I'll even say it that way because I think that that's how people may understand exactly what I'm referring to or what I'm saying. Cause I was even talking to someone once and I said to them, yeah, you know, how was your postpartum experience? And immediately they said, well, I didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, having thoughts of wanting to kill my baby. And in no way did I mean any of that at all when I asked that question. I literally meant, what was life like for you after you had your baby? <laughs> and that's it. From, you know, after you delivered from the hospital when you went home, you know, what, were you happy? Were you tired? Did your body heal okay? You know, how, how was it? How was it when that baby separated from your body? Um, but that's what several men and women think of when they hear that phrase. The actual term in a mental health standpoint when you get a diagnosis is a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. It wasn't always called this. Previously, it was referred to as postpartum depression. But what clinicians learned over time was that it's more than just postpartum depression. It doesn't always look like depression after giving birth. It can look like a ton of different other things. 
And so why don't we create a diagnosis that really puts it on a spectrum? Because it could look like depression. It can look like anxiety. It can look like obsessive compulsive disorder. It can be bipolar disorder. It can be psychosis. Um, so it can be several different things. And how a woman may get to any of those different types of diagnosis can cause, can be caused by several different things. So it's not a one route situation. Because I've heard several women say, you know, I just pray to God that I don't get postpartum depression. And it's a legitimate concern because you sometimes you just don't know. But sometimes there's a lot of risk factors before you've had your baby that can set you up or can be an ingredient for you being in that position of having a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And just so I don't have to say a, a mouthful for the next 30 minutes, we're just going to we're going to call it PMADS because <laughs> that's what we call it. And that's just like to, to shorten it, P-M-A-D-S, PMATS, Perinatal Mood and Anxiety Disorder. So when I say risk factors, what I mean is um, a lot of times before in society, when we would hear of someone having postpartum depression, immediately someone would think of like an Angela Yates case. And if you haven't heard of her, Angela Yates, this was, I can't even remember what year it was. Maybe it was like the early 90s, maybe late 80s. Um, and if I tell this story incorrectly in any way, please feel free to comment and correct me. So I'm just basically going off of memory. But she was a mother who had had multiple pregnancies. And as she went through each of her pregnancies, um, her postpartum experience <laughs> um, became more and more difficult. And her mental health was more so at state. And her doctor told her that she should no longer have any more children. She came from an environment that was very religiously based. And I don't think that they believed in birth control. And her and her husband were in the belief that they would have as many children as, you know, whatever they were blessed with. And it would just kind of work itself out. And so... Angela was in and out of psych hospitals several times. She was suicidal. She was homicidal. She had delusions, hallucinations, and she continued to get pregnant despite. And the last time she had her baby, um, the doctors, whatever reason why I don't know, sent her home, even though she had voiced the symptoms and the experiences that she was having and her husband had the responsibility of watching her. And he left her at the house by herself with her kids and told her that he wanted to work in building her up to feel more independent, to be at home alone with the kids. And he would leave her in increments at home alone while he went out and ran errands. So on this particular day, he did that and she killed her children while he was gone. And so most of the time when people will hear postpartum depression, this is the image that is presented to them. This is what they think of. And in this situation, typically it's 1% of women will experience something like this. So that's just to show you how rare that is. And this is what we would call 
um, a psychosis ex- episode and experience for her. Most of the time when a woman is homicidal and she wants to kill her children and it is because God is telling them to do so or because they're having some sort of delusion and hallucination is because they have a pre-existing diagnosis, rather it be schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And this hormonal imbalance of having had a child plus the stressor of managing this new life on top of already having a diagnosis is very overwhelming for them. And then they're not on medication to properly treat it and they may not be having routine treatment for it. So it's just an an ingredient for them to be able to be experiencing all of this. And like I said, it's only 1% that do experience this type of postpartum experience. So it's not often, it's very rare. So I know like some moms are very fearful of, you know, if I have a baby, this is what this experience will, will be like. And if you have no history of any type of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder, um, a doctor's never suggested that you not have children because mentally you don't seem like you would be able to handle it or cope, then there's no reason why you would be concerned. Um, so that was a very, very unfortunate case, but it's not to label all women that experience PMATs as being in that type of situation. So when I talk about at, at risk um, or risk factors, um, those are situations where we already know when we're pregnant, our hormones are at a very heightened level. And after you give birth, they crash. And throwing in the fact that you're also, if you choose to breastfeed, your hormones are just completely not regulated. And you know how some people will say, are you on your period? Are you on your period? Our hormones really can just take control over our mind sometimes. And if we are stressed on top of that, it can just not have us be able to think clearly or be able to function as we normally would. So that's just one aspect of it. With risk factors, that's what you have going on in your life before you have the baby. So that could be why you're pregnant or before you even got pregnant. So if you are having some financial struggles, you don't have childcare, you have a job that doesn't give you maternity leave, but you need to keep the job to afford a living. If you have gotten a divorce in the midst of having your baby or separated from your partner, not with your partner, alone, a single mom and didn't expect it to be this way. Have no family support, friend support, no support of whatsoever. If you've recently moved to an area where there is no support that's available, um, if there was a recent death, if leading up to you giving birth, you lost a parent or a sibling, and it was really significant amount of grief for you, if you had a traumatic birth, um, some women may experience severe tearing when they have a baby. Some men, women may have um, hemorrhage, may have to have a hysterectomy after they've had the baby, may have almost died after they've had their baby, and it was a traumatic experience for them. Um, some women may have lost their job. They may have had to go into a homeless shelter while they were pregnant. And this is just something that's like current. This is not to say 
prior to getting pregnant, they may have had a sexual assault. They may have been molested. They may have not had a good relationship with their mother. Um, several things, you know, of trauma that could have happened throughout childhood that could have been triggered once they've had their baby. And these are just half of the risk factors that could occur. So if you're thinking about, let's just say, a particular mother, let's just make up a name and call her Suzanne. So Suzanne um, has a partner that she is in love with, and they have this unplanned pregnancy. And then she moves to Washington State. And I'm literally just making this up as I go. (laughs) She moves to Washington State with her partner, Paul, we'll call him. And they decide they're going to make this work and they're going to have this baby, even though all of her family's in Alabama. She knows no one in Washington State. You know, what she does for a living, she did in Alabama, but they don't really have it out there in Washington State. So she's financially dependent upon Paul. And then she hits five months pregnant. Paul decides he doesn't want to be a dad. As the time's getting closer, he decides that, you know, this isn't for me. I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm only 25. Uh, there's so much life I want to live. I don't, I don't want to be together anymore. Can you move out and get your own place? And so Suzanne, you know, moves, gets a place, picks up a job as a waitress, but she knows she can only work with so long. So she's in Washington. She just broke up with someone she thought was the love of her life. She has no support there. Financially, she's making just minimum wage. She doesn't have enough money to fly back home to Alabama, nor does her family in Alabama have enough money to fly her back or for them to fly to Washington State to be with her. She has to deal with the breakup, so that's sad of what she thought life would be. Plus, she's a first-time mother. And then she left all of her, all of the things that she established for herself back in Alabama because she gambled on this relationship. And she's in this state that she's not quite familiar with. And she has to navigate all of this on her own. And that's incredibly isolating for her. And this is all before she even has the baby. Okay? (laughs) So do you see how those are risk factors? (laughs) for a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Um, So that's to kind of show what she's up against, you know, what she may deal with. And so how a clinician kind of comes into play when a woman seeks therapy prior to having the baby is being able to help manage those risk factors so that their postpartum experience isn't as difficult or hard as it would be had they not come in, just to be able to cope, just to be able to learn some skills and some tools to deal what is to co- what deal with what is to come and what they have facing them currently, and to also be able to just process all of that. That's what's going on, and then to be also learn resources that are available. So your family isn't here. Okay, so let's look up some support groups that are free and available around here. Let's look up some doulas that may do some bargaining or that may have a fee that's low or even if it's groups that they have for doulas that you can come in and a whole bunch of women can get some doula support at the same time. Um, Just whatever is available that can meet her needs so that it can ease her and she not feel so isolated and so alone. Because there are a lot of resources out there. But the, the hard part is there's a lot of 
people who don't know about them. And now, a quick break. Last year was the first time I was able to host my first conference. And this was Push Through Mama. And it was an amazing experience with some amazing women. And what I loved about it was that there were several breakout sessions that covered various topics for women to be able to learn and gain resources. We had someone that was a sex therapist to talk about gaining your sexuality back after having your baby and being sexually confident. We had someone that was a therapist to talk about conscious parenting. We had a relationship therapist to talk about how to deal with the after effects of motherhood and how it affects your relationship. It was tons of breakout sessions. It was a great group of women. We shared, we laughed, and we cried. And this year, we're having another one. And it's going to be bigger and better. And I'm super excited. Um, So please get your tickets now while our early tickets are available. You'll be able to have access to so much more than last year with even more great topics. Lunch, being able to mingle, being able to dance and just have a great time, and plus being able to be exposed to some awesome sponsors. So check out our website at www.pushthroughmom.com and get your early bird ticket while supplies last. And you are feeling sad for no reason. You don't feel like you're present. You don't feel like yourself. You don't feel like you're bonding with your baby. Um, Sometimes some women may feel completely bonded with their baby, attached to their baby, but they just don't feel like themselves. They feel like they are an empty shell on the inside or like life is moving around them, but they're still like stagnant or stuck or they're walking in a haze or a cloud. Um, And those can be reasons to definitely reach out and get some help. And so when I talk about the spectrum, outside of depression of what can it look, what it can look like is anxiety. Some moms can experience anxiety to a heightened degree. If you're already an anxious person or if you're already someone who likes to have control, you like to know what's going to happen next, not knowing what the plan is makes you feel a little uncomfortable. And then you have this baby where throw your plans out because nothing goes as planned. You may have packed that, that baby bag. You may have you know done everything to leave the house on time. And then baby has an explosion or, you know, anything can happen, flat tire or whatever, and you just, like, lose your your being or whatnot. <laughs> um, anxiety is definitely something that can occur. And it can look like not feeling sure that you are competent enough to be alone with your baby. Not that you harm your baby, but just because you just may not feel like equipped. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I can't be here by myself or I don't feel comfortable being here alone at night. You know, what if something happens? Or not feeling like you can drive with the baby in the car. Um, not worrying if you've done everything that you needed to. Worried if you should take them somewhere. Worried about should these people come over. Just being worried, concerned, over analytical, in your head, having racing thoughts. That's anxiety. And something that kind of goes into that is called intrusive thoughts. So intrusive thoughts is, again, you're not having thoughts of wanting to harm your baby, 
but you're very concerned if harm comes to your baby. And that may look like you put your baby down in their rocker, right? And it's set on the floor, but you look up and you notice, oh, the TV is mounted on the wall. As it's been for the past two years and it's secure, there's no reason to think it would ever fall down. Nothing has ever happened for you to think it will fall down. But you have this like thought or vision in your mind that the, the, the TV falls down and it crashes on the baby. And you just feel this dread. And so you never set the baby down right there ever again because you just feel like, well, what if the TV falls and it harms the baby? That's what's called an intrusive thought. is just being able to foresee something happening to your baby. And so you would try to avoid doing that behavior in case it would would happen. But there's no reason why it would happen because it's never happened before to make you think it would happen. And this is something that's also very common and it can make someone feel anxious. Um, So a lot of anxiety is super common. Most of the women that come in um, for PMATs typically deal with the anxiety part of the diagnosis. And that's just a lot of them having uncertainty, them adjusting, and them not knowing what to expect, plus being tasked with this huge responsibility of keeping this this being alive and not really knowing if they're doing the right job. And it can be very anxiety-stricken. Like, I mean, anyone could kind of be anxious about that. Um, so that that is something that I commonly see a lot. And uh, the approach that we take with that is just being able to reframe their thoughts, making them feel secure in the decisions that they make, and kind of walking themselves out of those irrational way of thinking and to base everything based off of the evidence and the facts of the situation. And we can get into that in a whole nother episode because that's a little bit too therapy. But (laughs) um, the other things that it can look like is um, obsessive compulsive disorder, which where anxiety is taken to a whole nother level. So that's like if someone is really concerned if their baby gets sick. Um, I don't want my baby to get the flu. I don't want them to get whooping cough. You know, everybody needs to have the DTAP, which is fine. Everyone, you know, may feel like, People who encounter them, they need to have hand sanitizer. You need to make sure you have your flu shot. You need to have your DTAP. And you just want to feel confident that your baby is exposed to sanitary, hygienic people who are not going to give them anything that they don't necessarily, that that, that you can prevent, so to speak. Common makes total sense. When it gets to a point of needing to get help, is when your obsessive compulsive thoughts are occupying your thoughts and when these behaviors are becoming avoided behaviors. So let's just say, me giving like another random scenario, we're going to call her Carol. (laughs) Let's say Carol has a child and she did not want her child to play outside because she thought that her child would get a cold or hurt themselves or just anything. And so she just avoided it. And whenever they had to go outside, her child would have to get completely wiped down in 
hand sanitizer. And it became such a fixation for her where her child, let's call him Jimmy, ended up feeling like, you know, life is scary outside. And, you know, mom says that if I go outside and I don't have on my hand sanitizer, I will probably die. That is when it becomes an issue. Not just because the child has picked up on the behavior, but because mom has avoided living a normal routine life of just going outside and not having to to just live a life of, you know, anything can happen, yes, but you don't have to go through all of these rituals and behaviors and avoiding behaviors in order to function. Somehow what she's doing is interrupting with the normal routine of her life. That is where it looks like obsessive compulsive disorder. Just being fixated, constantly thinking about it, creating rituals to ease her mind, to make her feel confident of, okay, this is safe, but still not even really sure of what you're doing is safe. That's what that looks like. So this, again, is kind of the idea of the spectrum of what PMADs look like. It's not just postpartum depression. It's not just psychosis, but it's a couple of other things that people have to be able to Navigate, and it's common for a woman to get any of one of the diagnoses within PMATs is common. Don't feel alone. Um, we all have a huge, a huge adjustment period of becoming a mother, especially a first-time mom, and even a second-time mom, because you've never had a second child before, and you've never had to deal with a toddler and a baby at the same time, or. You know, when I go to the grocery store, how am I going to do this with both of them? You know, I have two car seats in my car. I have five car seats in my car. It's just always an adjustment. Um, so I, I just wanted to say that because I don't want women to feel shame. And the more educated we are about it, the more we can say, oh, that's what it was that I had. And that's what it's called. And this is what I can do to feel better, you know? Um, so I say all of that to say with resources and things that are available, of course, moms can go to a therapist that specializes in PMATs, preferably, um, because like I said, check receipts. <laughs> and for myself, um, for my certification, I had to fly all the way to Arizona and I had to take a two day intensive training. And then after that, I then had to take an advanced training. And then after that, there's a certification test that you have to pass. And this is on top of me already just being licensed as a therapist in the state of Georgia. So it's not something to just like, oh, let me just read this article or let me just read a book. Um, it's something that's very specific to be able to help anyone that is on that spectrum. Um, so you can see a therapist. Um, there's also other things. It's like support groups. There's a great organization that I'm a part of called Postpartum Support International. And I am a member of the Georgia Chapter Board. So on their website, which I'll put it in the show notes, um, there's a lot of resources like a warm line where if you need to text or call and speak to a clinician or be connected to a clinician that's in your area, you can. There's also other coordinators that can coordinate you or set you up with some resources that in your area that's available. Um, there's also a lot of Facebook groups that you can be a part of that's online. 
um, that's available. And Atlanta has a lot of support groups. Um, I facilitate one of the support groups that's at the Atlanta Birth Center. And it's a free support group that's for one hour. The one that I do is on Tuesdays at 1030 until 1130 in the morning. But there's several different times throughout the week. There's even a Saturday group. And it's for you to just kind of come talk to other women and be able to just kind of learn about what everybody else is going through, how they're able to cope with it, exchange some resources, and just not feel alone, really, legitimately. And that's also really helpful. Now, let's say that you aren't a mom, but you are a woman who has a friend who has become a mother, and you wonder, hmm, how can I help them? Or how can I be of service to them? Even if they may not say something is going on or this is what's wrong. You can always help just by saying, checking in on them, um, being able to say, you know, is there anything that I can do? Um, and just being able to tell them that they're doing a good job, I feel like goes a long way. Because self-doubt, when someone is in their head and they're questioning every single movement that they're doing, it can be really debilitating. And it can make someone feel incredibly insecure where that anxiety then looks like depression. And it can be really hard for anybody. So being able to support them by giving them resources, asking them is there anything that they can do, checking in on them, just sending them like a quick note, or just telling them that they're doing a good job can help. Um, the last piece that I did want to talk about um, is sleep deprivation. And um, sleep deprivation is something that I personally dealt with in my own experience um, after I gave birth, which I talked about, I'm going to do an episode on my own um, postpartum experience and that story within this season. <laughs> so look out for that episode. Um, but sleep deprivation is one of those risk factors that I was talking about. And with my son, he had colic. And colic is basically where, you're, where the stomach is having a hard time digesting the intake and that could be what type of formula that could be the breast milk so what is mom consuming that's in the breast milk and then a lot of that is the baby's body although it's outside of the womb it's still growing and developing on its own so the gastro system is still um growing and just digesting foods is just hard. So it causes a lot of gas, which causes a lot of pain, and it makes baby very uncomfortable, and they just cry for long periods of time. And you can give them gripe water, you can give them gas um, drops, and you can change the diet, but it can just be a very long process of them just crying and crying. And there's nothing you can really do but just comfort them, but they may not sleep um, and nothing really can console them, and they just cry for hours on end. And when you have a baby that's like that, that will cry for just hours and hours and hours, and you can't get any rest, it can do a lot to your psyche. And sleep is not something that's like negotiable. You know how people have that phrase of, oh, I sleep when I die? Well... <laughs> If you don't sleep ever, you might die <laughs> because your body has 
to sleep. It has to have rest. You cannot make rational decisions. You cannot think clearly. You cannot function without adequate rest. Remember, if you guys do remember this, when Tracy Morgan was hit in that car accident, I think it was in New York, by a Walmart truck driver who had been doing overtime And I think he hadn't slept in like 48 hours, the driver, and made the wrong decisions and severely injured Tracy Morgan in the accident. And I even think the driver was like charged and may have been convicted. And they've equated driving while not having sleep, which being sleep deprived equates to driving intoxicated. Like that's how... The decision-making is so blurred. And if anything, I might even say sleep-deprived may be worse than intoxication, just depending on, like, what type of intoxication are we talking about. Because for myself, when I was sleep-deprived, I had hallucinations. I saw things that were not there. I was not able to make proper decisions. I tried to cook and fell asleep and almost burnt our house down. And um, I was very short-tempered, very irritable. My anxiety was through the roof. And I could not remember things. Like, I I could not remember. My short-term memory was gone. And this isn't like sleep deprivation where it was like that driver where it was 48 hours. This was like three months of not having adequate sleep, like getting sometimes broken sleep is worse than no sleep because it's like you fall into REM sleep to immediately become jolted awake. And then you have a hard time trying to get back to sleep. And by the time you can get back to sleep, like going back into being jolted awake and just never being able to get that full rest. And it is extremely hard. It's so hard that even in naval training, like for the military, they try to have their soldiers do a round of sleep deprivation to prepare them for what war looks like. Even like methods of torture for enemies in war, prisoners of war, sleep deprivation is used. So that's how, like, I just want people to understand, like, that's how hard it was. And I think that people didn't tell me how hard it was. Like, they would say, yeah, you're not going to sleep or sleep when the baby sleeps. But they didn't go into, this is what it might look like. (laughs) And having a plan for if it gets like this, call this person to come or um, have this person to come over or Forget the dishes, take a nap, you know? And I don't think that we spend enough time on sleep deprivation, but when we talk about risk factors, that can trickle into a whole bunch of other things that can go wrong and can make a mother not in a good condition by no means to care for an infant. Um, So that's just something to kind of hear. (laughs) And know about. Um, it's it's very real. So this is kind of like my broad, very overview of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, just to give you like a brief education on 
exactly what it is, what it looks like, what we call it, what we what we label it. Let's give a name to it so that you have an idea of it. And anyone that may be going through it that didn't know what it was can put a name to it so that you can get the proper help that you need. And I, and I must stress this enough. If you do suffer from it or have suffered from it, you are not alone. And I, I can say myself, I am a clinician. I have suffered from PMATs myself. And it does not discriminate it. You can be someone who is the most educated person on earth, the wealthiest person on earth, the person with all the resources and privilege possible and still suffer from PMATs. And it is okay because it is very common. And there are people out there to help you get what you need. And the thing about it is it's treatable. You will get through it. You will be okay. It's not something that you'll have forever. It is an experience. It is brief. And in the end of it all, it makes sense why you have it. Because we all have so many things going on in our lives. And then we have a baby. And there's no way to prepare for what you don't know what is to come. You don't know what your delivery experience is going to be like. You don't know what labor is going to be like. You don't know what your baby's temperament will be like. You don't know what their digestive system is going to be like. You don't know who said they were going to be there to support you if they're really going to be there to support you. You don't know. (laughs) And there's no way to know. All you can do is go through it. And as you go through it, you're doing the best that you can. And if you need support while you deal with all of that, it is totally okay. So, um... I hope that helps. (laughs) So as I set this episode up, the episodes that are to come will be similar to our first one, where several women will be talking about their motherhood journeys. And I also wanted to emphasize that every guest that I have on this show will not always be talking about why they became a mom or what were the challenges of being a mom. Some of the stories will be why they don't want to be a mom. Some will be um, why they don't understand why motherhood hasn't happened for them yet. And some of them may be, I didn't necessarily want it to be a mom. So it will be very different stories because what I love about people is that all of our paths are so different. And I am a completely non-judgmental person. And I think that we all have something to learn from one another. And when we look deeper into where we came from, what we've dealt with, it makes sense of how we got here. And this is a space of support and a space of resources and a space of learning. So I cannot wait for you to hear what I have in store for you. And like I always say... (laughs) Um, If you have any questions, if you um, have any suggestions, and especially about this episode, if you want to learn more about PMADS, feel free to email me and be sure to check out the website of PSI, which I'm going to put in the show notes to learn more. And don't hesitate to ask any question at all. I'm totally here to support or help anybody. And subscribe, share, like, follow. Um, our Instagram handle is push through box 
And you can email me at Keisha at KeishaReeves.com. And until next time, have a wonderful week and continue pushing through. And now, a quick break.